Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. If you want to listen live in the central Indiana area, you can hear us on 93.5 FM and 107.5 FM. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, he is the head coach of the Indiana Pacers. They embark on the season. The preseason first is tomorrow night on the road in Charlotte. Rick Carlisle is kind enough to join us here in the 5 o'clock hour. Hello, Rick. How are you? What's up? How are we feeling about this youth, this team, and this movement that you're upon right now? The, 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 the embarking of this ship that begins tomorrow night in preseason play. How do you feel? I like it. I like the group. Um, you know, I think every coach in the league right now is saying they've loved the first seven days of training camp. But uh, this has really been a special group, very competitive, um, you know, extremely coachable, you know, guys that uh, have a lot of upside. And so, you know, our fans are going to get a dose of a, of a much different looking team. And I think it's just going to be a fun thing to grow along with this team. Rick Carlisle's with us. Do you have anything professionally as a coach that you can compare going through this this sort of youth movement with this team right now? Compare it to something that you have gone through in the past? Anything at all? You know, we we went through a a rebuild in Dallas for three years. You know, where we were in the lottery, and you know, we it was a little bit different looking one because. The guys that we acquired were guys like Dorian Spinney-Smith, who was an undrafted rookie, and then we got Maxi Kleber, um, you know, from Europe on a, on, a, on, a, on a initially a minimum deal, and now he's become a nine million dollar player. And then we've drafted Luca, you know, and um, in the process, guys like Dwight Powell, you know, developed. Uh, we drafted Jalen Brunson, and you know, everybody knows what happened there. Yeah. He really, really developed. And so, yes, I have been through it. Um, and rebuilding is a, you know, it, it's a, it's a tough word, you know, it's, it's a word associated with pain and not a lot of fun because, you know, with young players, it's going to be harder to win, but yeah, I think we have a top 10 point guard in this league in Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, we've surrounded him with a lot of shooting. Um, TJ McConnell has been tremendous in training camp. He's probably been the best player our best overall player in training camp. And, uh, you know, Nemhart is, is another pass-first point guard that can score and make plays. So, I, you know, our, our playmaking at the point guard position and the depth that we've added with our wings, with Matherin, with Aaron Neesmith, who's had a really good camp. Chris Duarte has been, been really, really good over the, fir- over the first seven or eight days. And, uh, and Buddy Heald's, you know, he'll go down as, well, as one of the greatest three-point shooters in the history of the game. And, uh you know, up front, Miles, Isaiah, and uh, and Goga, and we've got uh, Daniel Tice, and these guys, uh, these guys are all damn good players. So, Rick Carlisle, the head coach of the Pacers on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I, I love this because I didn't say rebuild, <laughs> I did, and you said rebuild. And I'm curious, did it take you a minute? to get on board with this or was this kind of an instantaneous thing when the choice was to go with this team in this particular direction? Well, John, here's something, you know, I, I had this question a lot when we began a rebuild in Dallas, yeah. you know, you know, are you really up for this? And and my answer at the time was, you know, over my career as a head coach, it's really been defined by the ability to adjust year to year. I mean, after we won the championship in 2011, um, you know, we didn't re-sign Tyson Chandler. We didn't re-sign J.J. Barea. And we started 
a string of about five years where, you know, we were, we had six or seven new guys each year. And so I just, I really kind of leaned into the whole idea of, you know, where is my resourcefulness as a coach? How do I get whoever I have, you know, given to me better? How do we win as many games as we can? And, you know, we had a pretty good run of playoff appearances. And then, um, it just got to a point where it was time to, to bite the bullet and, uh, and rebuild. And, and then, you know, now Dallas is pretty well positioned. You know, they lost Brunson, but they've still got Doncic, who is, if he's not the best player in the game, he's right on the cusp. So, um, but for me, this situation was, was less about, you know, who the players were going to be. Um, it, it's more about, <laughs> you know, just, relationships and this is the third time I've been back to Indiana my 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 other two stops in Indiana have been extremely important in my overall career as a head coach you know my relationship with Larry Bird is is uh is precious to me and he and I still stay in touch in fact JMV I gotta ask you this question I was at I was down in um down in Nashville Indiana at his ranch on Saturday night and we're (laughs) cooking up some steaks and he's got a radio station on and you're like you're like the the disc jockey you know you were, you were the, listening to you guys were listening to the jmv takeover on saturday night down there yeah the takeover what is that um well it's something i'm glad you and asked how many, and how many people have lost their mind um well yeah exactly that's that's where it starts so during the pandemic um i i got a little bit bored and i started coming in on the station right next door in our building here and doing an all request show and it's something you really don't have in music radio any longer because you know everybody there's a you can basically get what you want at a, at a moment's notice with the push of a button. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to have people call in like it's old school, and they're going to request, for example, somebody that you know very well, Bruce Hornsby in the range. They'll request okay. that, and I will I will play that. And then I'll put their request over it, and you know, it's kind of like this when you take callers. You'll take their calls and put it over the songs they request, and it just kind of grew into something um really really fun and i just continue to do it and people like it and uh that's uh the jmv takeover every saturday night on b105.7 there you go well, well it sounded like fun but i'll finish my answer so okay. you know the 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 pacers organization the pacers family and the organization is still i mean just second to none when you talk about the quality of people there and starting with mr simon who's become a very close trusted friend you know along with kevin and chad and kelly and ted and so anyway my job now is to help get this team back to where it needs to be and that's not just you know sniffing the playoffs or being in the playoffs and and being a tough out i mean we have to take on the 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 persona of of a group that has a dream to be a championship group and that's what i'm preaching to our guys um, the gym is extremely competitive every day. We're talking about championship habits. Um, <laughs> you know, you look at the Vegas odds for our number of wins, and it looks pretty dismal. But uh, we're going to have a lot of unexpected good good wins, and we're going to have some stretches where it's tough this year. But we're going to be consistent with these guys. I mean, I've got a super talented coaching staff, you know, starting with Lloyd Pierce, Ron Norred, Mike Weiner, and Jenny Busick, and – you know, we've got the perfect team of coaches to develop this group over the next three or four years, and um, we're going to get this thing right. So, Rick Carlisle, the head coach of the Pacers, do, do you get kind of uh, a, a bit more juiced 
with enthusiasm, working with a, a younger team with the type of expectations that you just described? Does that give you a little extra something? Maybe, you know, coaching, starting a, a season with a veteran team, maybe that wouldn't? Yeah, this has been a rejuvenating thing to be in the gym with these guys. And, this, this, you know, this has been all summer. I mean, it started with the Vegas Summer League. Um, we had guys showing up right after Labor Day. We had four or five of our young guys in during the second two weeks of August, which is unheard of. And our vets have been terrific too. You know, miles has been great. Buddy's been, buddy's been great. Um, and so, you know, I mean, it's just been, it's been a lot of fun. And so we're looking forward to it. And look, I, I just, I love being around talented people, you know, and we have a lot of young talented players and I've got a very talented coaching staff, and I, and I think our front office is as talented as any. You know, look at the way they turned the team over in the last eight months. It's pretty, it's pretty remarkable, if you ask me. So uh, the job now is to develop these guys, um, you know, help them become a brotherhood as a, as a group of players and for us to become a true team um, and to get this thing as good as we can and, and, and then keep building it from there and then onward and then onward. Rick Carlisle's with us. What's your expectation for Miles Turner? I have been a, a huge supporter around here of 33 for a number of years. And, you know, he, he's back again right now. And we'll see where this goes because you really don't know where ultimately it's going to go this season. But as of right now, he's on this team. So what's your expectation? Him playing with this group of younger players as the big and in, in what he's going to be or should be able to do with this offense um, and really being without a, a big significantly uh, by his side for the first time in a while. What do you expect? Well, I, I expect it's going to be an entirely different situation. Um, I'm a big supporter of his as well. Um, I saw the one game he played five from start to finish last year. It was a game against Houston in December, and he, you know, he threw up huge, huge numbers, 30-some points, a bunch of rebounds. Etc. But it's it's not going to be about the stats. It's just going to be about the opportunity, and it's opportunity to play a position full time, and it's opportunity to be one of the leaders on a group of younger guys. I mean, him, McConnell, Heald, you know, Halliburton is in his third year, but he's still very young. I mean, you know, Miles is he's cut out to be a you know to be a leader in this type of situation, and and he's embracing it, and so. You know, look, we got a dynamic business. Nobody's gonna, nobody knows what's gonna happen in terms of this, that, or the other transactions, trades, whatever. But I'll tell you what, he's had a hell of a week, and right now he leads our team uh, during our live action scrimmaging. He leads our team in field goal percentage. You know, and and he's gotten, he's done the major, the vast majority of his damage around the basket. So that's what we're looking for from him is for him to be more of a force around the basket with, with hard rolls, being in position to rebound. Um, etc. But uh, hey, watch and see. Tyrese Halliburton, I've heard you talk about it before um, and, and what you feel he is as a player now and your expectations. I'm kind of curious your vision of him compared to right now, his growth this season and then further down the road. What is your, your vision of your guard? I think he's a top 10 point guard in this league and he's a rare modern point guard that is a pass first point guard he's a pace make he's a peace creator he's a movement maker um he loves to run he loves to get off the ball and get back on it you know he has a he has an old school um 
feel and view of the game. And he's just super pure, you know, when it comes to playing the game the right way. So, you know, we're very fortunate. Um, we gave up a lot to get him, but it was, it was worth it. And, you know, he knows the responsibility that's on his shoulders. You know, he's, uh, he's, he's talked to Reggie Miller a little bit. I had those guys talk on the phone briefly one or two times. Um, and there are comparisons to him and, and Reggie, um, you know, a little bit because of the similarity of their body styles yeah. and their personalities and stuff like that. Uh, but it's a completely different position. But, you know, being the, being the front man of, you know, a small market team looking to do big things is not only a huge responsibility, but it's an amazing opportunity. And so two weeks after the season, he was back in Indiana working with Sean Wendell in the weight room. He's put on 15 to 18 pounds of strength. And, you know, that's going to help his durability. It's going to help his ability to attack the rim. Um, and it's going to help his ability to, to battle within our defensive system. So, you know, he's not only talking the talk, he's walking it. He's been doing the work. And um, we're all looking forward to beating up on somebody else tomorrow night after, you know, <laughs> seven, seven, yeah. seven out of the last days beating the crap out of ourselves. So Rick Carlisle with us. They open up on the road in Charlotte coming up tomorrow for the preseason. Now, you're going to play this uh, basically like normal, correct? Did I hear you say that yesterday? Well, we're going to be aggressive with this. You know, this is not a, you know, play 12 minutes and you're done type of thing. I mean, I really, what I've learned over the years, John, is that, you know, when you ease into a season, you're asking for trouble. And we cannot afford to ease into the season with the group that we have. And I don't think any team really can. I mean, there are a few, you know. I mean, Golden, Golden State can, you know, maybe Brooklyn can, maybe some of these teams with really elite talent and elite experience can, um, you know, Milwaukee, you know, maybe, but uh, not the Pacers, you know. Um, the vision for me of our team is just, you know, waves of energetic guys that, that are just going to keep coming at you and uh, that are going to be sitting down in garden and are going to be attacking and getting out and running and attacking the rim offensively and, you know, Tomorrow night, we'll see what it looks like. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen in this game. You know, we, we, we could get our ass kicked, but, you know, we're going to show up, and I think we're going to have fun playing these guys. You know, what's interesting to me, Rick, is you have a group when I look at this roster, and I, I think this is cool because there's – it is a completely different competitive level to get to where all these guys, to where you are in the NBA. There's no question about that. But when you look at guys down this roster, whether it's Tyrese or you know, maybe Isaiah, you know, Andrew Nimhard, the rookie, Benedict Matherin, the rookie as well, Jalen Smith, they're all guys that not only have that competitive vibe, but they also have that chip on their shoulder that they seemingly wear like a, a badge of honor that continuously you know, has them strive to not be satisfied to where they are. That's kind of what I see, at least with that group that I just mentioned. Do you see that as well? I do. Um, and I think all this stuff, playing angry, chip on your shoulder, mm. all that other stuff is is – great stuff for, for a team like the one that we have. And, you know, um, again, you look at, at the Vegas predictions, you know, for wins. Yeah. I mean, that's, if you can't get motivated by that. I mean, I don't, you know, you don't, you don't belong in this league, uh, but I'm looking forward to the challenge with this group. Um, great guys, great staff, you know, and, 
just want to encourage everyone to to watch and you know whenever you can get out get out to uh Gamebridge and and support us and and grow along with us what's your expectation for Benedict Matherin as a rookie i you know i think he is a great pick at number 6 i mean if if he was a finished product um he would have been the first or second pick in the draft john so you know our job is to 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 coach him up and and get him playing at, at higher and higher levels but he's done a he's done a much better job than i expected of um getting used to the 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 pace and the flow game which which involves a lot of feel and so um i see a lot of improvement there but you know again we got to start playing games and start playing against other teams and, 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 and see where we are with all these guys. But I think he's definitely a, a starting player in this league, whether or not he will be on day one, you know, we'll see about that. But uh, I know this every day he comes in with that chip on his shoulder that you're talking about. Yeah. And he comes in with a, with a winning competitive attitude. And he's, he has come by my office two or three or maybe even four times and said, coach, you know, um, coach me hard. I can take it. I can take criticism. I can take coaching. You know, I want to be as good as I can be. And so, you know, what more can you ask for as a coach? Hey, speaking of coaching, and I know with that hand injury, he was down. You mentioned TJ McConnell. He he joined me, I think, on Thursday. And um, <laughs> he really, he seemingly was digging being on the sideline, coaching guys up. I know he wanted to be out there because he's just got that energy that is you, you just can't find anywhere else. I mean, if, if he's not out there, you don't get that energy level, which is incredible. I think you mentioned the other day he's an energy machine, and he absolutely is. But he did, I, I think he did enjoy, like, coaching up and helping out on the bench as he did when he was injured last year. Yeah, I have no doubt that he will be a coach someday. Um, and I, he'll be a damn good one. You know, I think his dad is a coach. Um, he has that kind of mentality for the game. As much as he liked coaching guys up from the sideline, he, he'd rather be out there, you know, running circles around people and causing mayhem. Because that, that's what he does, and that's what he's been doing the entire training camp. His hand looks great. Um, he's worked really hard on his three-point shooting. So um, I think you'll see. Uh, I think everyone will see see a, a, a difference there in in how he's shooting it and how effectively he will shoot it. But the one thing that is a non-negotiable with him is competing. He will he he will never go into a game and not compete to his absolute fullest. No doubt about that. Rick Carlisle, the head coach of the Pacers on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. All right, we mostly do um, 80s, 70s, and sometimes 90s every Saturday night. If you were to call in and request a song, what would it be? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Wow. 80s, 70s, and 90s. Yeah. Uh, well, three decades. Roundabout, roundabout by Yes. Oh, man. Are you kidding me? That's money. That's wheelhouse yeah, right that's, there. That's money. That's There's a 70s song. 80s song would probably be, uh, you know, if you're going to go all-time classics, The Way It Is by Bruce Hornsby was the yeah. was the most frequently played song in the world in 1987. You're absolutely right about that. Yes, it and, was. And that was the brainchild or the – motivation for Tupac Shakur's yep. um, changes yep. and uh, which has become a, you know, a, an iconic classic, you know, and, um, 
in the in the rap world. And then nineties, uh, I don't know. I'm not as much of a nineties child. I you know yeah. I, I struggle struggle a little to come up with. 90s songs, but uh, yeah, that would be my 70s and 80s. Well, I'm going to tell you what, you gave us enough. You could go ahead and host during the off-season one of these things without question right here. Yeah, That was impressive RC out takeover. of you. Yeah. The RC takeover. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's outstanding. By the way, I saw the Foo Fighters, and they did a cover of Roundabout. This is probably five or six years ago. That's absolutely incredible. I mean, yes, is still the best at it, but man, Grohl Grow and the gang put on something with that cover. It was pretty awesome. I, saw, I, I arrived at the Summer League back in, I think it was 2013. We were staying at the Palms, and I saw that Yes was playing in – the Palms has this small arena of 500 people. So I bought a ticket and went in there. There was like – there's 200 people watching Yes, <laughs> and it was unbelievable. They played uh, – they played close to the edge, start to finish. They played the Yes album, start to finish, and then they played a few others. And it was like, I mean, these guys were killing it, man. It was unbelievable. I, I'm, I'm so. a child of the '80s, so I, an owner of a, a Lonely Heart was a huge hit for them. But um, I love Leave It. Leave It is just such a unique Yes song. Uh, when I get a chance, I, I play that certainly as a child of the yeah, '80s. Yeah, I got to I got to check that one out because I'm sure I've heard it, but it doesn't. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's um, it, it wanna, is. You want to sing a little bit of it for me? <laughs> um, I probably could. Yeah. Um, it, let's see. Hold on a second. I don't know if I can find this right now for you. Better than me singing, we could have. Uh, if you got one, I know you got to get rolling here, so I'm going to see if I can find it. I'm good. I got time. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, Kyle, uh, go ahead if you would right now and turn me up. Ah, yes, I got it. I uh, see. It starts out with them singing right here. That makes sense to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 90125 is the album. I got it. Got it. All right. Rick Carlisle is going to host a JMV takeover at some time in the offseason. But a lot of work to do beginning tomorrow night, everybody. You can check out Pacers on the Road preseason game number one in Charlotte and uh, get down to what has been a completely renovated and, from what I hear, awesome Gamebridge Fieldhouse this season to watch this young team evolve. Should be fun. Rick, I appreciate it more than you know. Thank you very much, and uh, we'll do it again soon. Just call me when you need me. Okay. Cheers, my friend. Be well. Right back. That's uh, Rick Carlisle on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. He blinds us with science every single Tuesday right here in the 4 o'clock hour. Ben Brown of PFF is with us. All right, I want to go ahead and I want to make sure everybody is ready and prepared for some of these ugly numbers, these analytics I'm sure that you have regarding the Colts. Is that true? Are there bright spots, or is it mostly negative? I mean, I was told to try and keep it as positive as I possibly could. <laughs> I uh, feel like I do try and do that every single week because nobody wants, you know, a negative, uh, you know, a, a constantly yeah. negative person. I do think that, you know, in any any given situation, there are going to be some bright spots, right? I think you can look at, you know, Matt Ryan specifically best PFF passing grade that he's had so far this season, right? So maybe that's uh, at least the offense somewhat be moving in the right direction, at least from a passing standpoint. Now we saw Alec Pierce get a little bit involved, had that one yeah. play downfield. Matt Ryan uh, underthrew him pretty significantly, uh, but he still made some plays, right? So I think there are, you know, some some silver linings in what was otherwise, uh, you know, a, a really disappointing 
uh, overall team performance, I would say. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Ben Brown of PFF joins us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. You'd mentioned the contortion that Alec Pierce had to do to, to get after that Matt Ryan throw. And while Matt Ryan put up good numbers, and certainly according to the PFF grade, I'm sure grades out great, he looked like that for most of the day. I, I think that really does hide, and I know a great deal has to do with the absolute bottom line ineffectiveness of this offensive line. But honestly, being there and eyeballing it, even with those completions and that yardage, Matt Ryan doesn't look good. Right. And, and I think it goes back to, you know, kind of the thing you mentioned is, is it's partially the offensive line, but uh, neither unit is in sync, right? And, and Matt Ryan under pressure at this stage in his career is a really, really, really bad outcome uh, for this particular offense. And they, they can't generate they can't generate successful plays, play in and play out uh, if they're getting some of this interior pressure. And I think that is, you know, a, a really concerning fact. Obviously, the turnover situation as well uh, is a huge detriment to this team. They're just not a team built to play, you know, from behind. So when they do get the early turnover and go down seven and then 14 points right away, uh, it, it's really tough for them to come back. And they've seen, uh, and that's, this isn't the main reason why they are in the, the position that they were, but they did experience some, high variance type turnover luck last year where defensively uh and i know we talked about this a little bit but they had the highest amount of total expected points from turnovers coming uh you know on the defense side of the football of any team in the nfl and they used that to their advantage right and and this year it's completely flipped i think they're 27 uh in that particular stat even more concerning is you know offensively they've given up the most total expected points uh, of any offense in the nfl on those turnover type situations. So they've had bad turnovers. They've had a lot of them and they've had them in really high leverage spots. And I think in order, you know, to kind of be a successful team, those are the easy things that you absolutely need to cut out first. Hey, regardless of if the ball was, was, was turned over. Um, how does Matt Ryan rank right now in terms of fumbles against everybody else individually and team wise in the NFL? Have you looked up that number? I am. I have not, but I can definitely look it up while we're talking and give you a, a pretty easy uh, okay. figure on it here in a little bit. But I do think you know, uh, we, and we can revisit that in a little bit. But yeah, it's you know, it, from a team perspective, it's been just it's so dreadful. Crazy. I mean, just dreadful. Yeah, yeah. right. Just just right. dreadful. All right, while you're looking that up, because I know you probably memorized this. How bad are the numbers for the offensive line through the first four weeks of the season here at Indy? Yeah, we have them basically. Um, through four weeks, basically, and this does bake in, you know, a little bit of prior expectation, but we have them, you know, as the 22nd, 22nd ranked uh, pass blocking unit, uh, a little bit higher in the run blocking grade. I do think some of that is to do, you know, isn't really playing out uh, in, in other areas when you're looking at things like Jonathan Taylor's, um, you know, run stuff rate, how often he's getting tackled at or behind the line of scrimmage. He's like fourth overall. Uh, from a running perspective in that category in the NFL, I think team-wise, uh, really poor performance from an EPA perspective on rushing the football as well. So some of our, you know, run blocking grades uh, definitely don't seem to paint the whole story of just how bad it's been, you know, offensively for the for the Colts rushing the football. Well, they've um, they've been awful, and and here's part of the issue, Ben, that we've talked about over and over. If if they don't work, really nothing's going to work. Nothing offensively right. is certainly going to work. You've got a 37-year-old quarterback that's unable to escape 
Uh, you've got a running back that a year ago was by far the best that's having numbers-wise not a good season so far uh, because there's not a crease, there's not any space whatsoever. And you combine that with 14 points, just a little bit over that per game, and this offense just looks dreadful. Right. It, it, it very much does. I mean, and there's, you know, the issues are you know, stacking up in a number of different areas. I do think there's multiple, you know, multiple units that are responsible for it, but it goes back. I, and I don't want to, you know, harp on, uh, you know, you know, guys like Chris Ballard or something and their team building roster philosophy. But when you kind of bring in a veteran quarterback, you have to make cuts at other positions. And when you kind of, allocate some of your resources and dollars to positions that maybe aren't necessarily premium type positions that aren't impacting the game play in and play out uh, as impactful as other positions are it's really hard to build a winning cohesive type of offensive unit I think that's kind of you know the overall uh, determining issue with the Indianapolis Colts right now Tennessee I would guess um, even though they traded away a huge asset in A.J. Brown um, last um, spring mind you um, the Colts and the Titans are kind of built in in similar fashion, I would guess. It, it To me, this has been my argument, and I know that you agree with me on this, but I want you to go a little bit further on it. It, it appears that what Chris Ballard has put together to this point has failed considering what he is looking for and the results that he's yep. getting. And I know that there's still right. a ways to go, but where we are right now, would you consider – my words, those words, accurate in that description. I very much think so, right? And I think that, uh, you know, that that is the greatest issue with the Indianapolis Colts right now, and part of it is the, the Band-Aid approach or whatever, or, uh, the roster-building Band-Aid type approach where you're trying to fill in, you know, this plug-and-play type quarterback, veteran guy, year in and year out, and there's just no cohesion. Uh, there's no real carryover into the next year with that offensive coordinator uh, and that quarterback kind of being a seamless transition and actually, you know, helping out some of these young wide receivers. They're always starting from, you know, home plate basically uh, and don't really have the advantage of multi-years of continuity. And I think that you're seeing that play out uh, and it's taken, you know, the band-aid approach at quarterback instead of just, you know, trying to go a different route or trying to find at least the guy through the draft who at least could be an option as a backup quarterback because they don't even really have that right now either, right? So uh, I definitely agree with you, and I do think that, you know, in evaluating the Indianapolis Colts, that's definitely where you absolutely have to start with. So Ben Brown of PFF every Tuesday right here on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Through four weeks, what's this Colts offense overall look like, Ben? It's really bad, unfortunately. Like we like to look at, you know, from a, uh, the EPA perspective, which we talked yeah. about a little last week, they're like 29th uh, overall in that. Again, some of that is to do with the um, with the turnover type situations that they're constantly putting themselves into. But uh, a lot of that is just ineffectiveness, right? Uh, they're not rushing the football well. They're at bottom five uh, rushing unit right now in the NFL, and I think that says a lot given that that is supposed to be the strength of the team. Yeah. The best player on offense is bottom five. Taylor. All right. Hasn't, go, got, hasn't gotten open, you know, or hasn't gotten going whatsoever. And, and, and it's a concern, right? And I think, you know, if you want to compare it to the Tennessee Titans, you, they still are getting that production from a guy like uh, Derrick Henry, which is, you know, kind of the main reason why these two teams are so different right now. I also think Ryan Tannehill is playing uh, a lot better at the quarterback position than what Matt Ryan's been able to, been able to provide the Indianapolis Colts. I think, you know, those two things 
speak to uh, the, the current state of both these offenses. And I think, you know, the, defensively as well, uh, it, it looks very much like, you know, the Colts are overmatched at a lot of points uh, throughout that last game as well. Did I give you enough time to look up that fumbling stat from Matt Ryan? So I have, I have, yeah, I got, I had to pull it on my data feed, but there are basically Matt Ryan has been on the field for 10 fumbles situations, whether they've lost them or not, which is, tied for uh, the, the league lead in that category uh, with the New York Jets. So I can pull a first-play basis and get the actual responsibility for who that was in line to. But, yeah, the Colts and the Jets. Sorry, not, I shouldn't laugh not, at that, not, but, not yeah. The you want to, not the grouping that you want to be in uh, yeah. at this point in time. And I do think I got to correct myself a little bit, too. Looking at the EPA, uh, the Colts have the second-worst offense overall from an EPA perspective through four weeks of the NFL season, the only team worse than them uh, is the Carolina Panthers. So it's basically the Panthers are the worst team than the Colts, Washington Commanders, and the Houston Texans. So that's definitely not the uh, not the grouping that you want to fit yourself into the first four weeks of the season as far as you know an offensive efficiency standpoint. So through four weeks of play, the Colts quarterback um, it ranks as the highest fumbler in the league with the New York Jets. So he ranks with a team. So he, and I don't know, and I have to, I would have to pull our play-by-play data individually into my programming language and run, run the, run the coding behind it a little bit to get the specifics on if he was actually, if we assigned responsibility for those fumbles or not, I am thinking of a number of them, uh, you know, where it, it might not have necessarily been fully his fault. So I can look at that as well. Um, but yeah, he has basically been on the field uh, for ten fumbles that have resulted and gone on the ground, and that's yeah the same the same outcome basically as the New York Jets, right? What's the criteria for it being his fault? Just having his hands on it and then not in this case. We do, yeah. We, I mean, we do assign it, but there are obviously some like exchange type situations which can be a little bit of a gray area. Typically, those would be um, those would typically lean in the in, in the quarterback's direction for that, but uh, we do that, and that is kind of part of the. Uh, the, the charting process that PFF employs, we do, you know, have a system in place where uh, previous plays kind of provide the example for how we would actually grade that and who we would, you know, assign grade, who, we, who, who would we assign uh, blame to in that particular play. I will tell you this. It's not like I think Matt Ryan deserves any benefit of the doubt at this point for any of those. You know what I mean? It's like, all right. right so right. It, it's probably at this point his fault, right? Right, right. Yeah, and, and, and the thing is that, you know, we talked about this last year as well, and this is maybe, you know, an indictment on where Frank Reich is as well, but, like, last year the Colts were the best team from an EPA perspective on, on scripted offensive plays. They would get out to early leads, and they could ride Jonathan Taylor, they could run block, and they could win football games. And now they're basically, uh, like, the third worst unit in the NFL on those scripted plays in 2022, and that's the – and they're behind the eight ball. They can't play catch up because, you know, the receivers aren't really separating downfield for Matt Ryan. And he doesn't have a ton of time in the pocket and he's not alleviating or handling pressure whatsoever. So it's, you know, an assortment of errors stacked on top of each other. Uh, but, but, but unfortunately, like if it, if it doesn't turn around quickly, uh, 
you know, there's got to be some sort of, you know, reset, I would say, overall for the Indianapolis Colts. Oh, man. Ben Brown of PFFs on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline with the sobering details through four weeks analytics-wise of the season for the Colts. All right, let's get to something that may even be worse. We'll get to the overall defense and, and especially what's taking place up front defensively in a second. But I think we both, Kyle and I, saw Kenny Moore the second and his numbers in coverage through four weeks of the season. Was it as bad as we talked about a little bit earlier? It's been kind of dicey to start, I would say, for Kenny Moore. I mean, he's been really poor from a coverage perspective. We have him basically uh, 146 coverage snaps. He has uh, a 33.6 overall grade, which I think is like uh, what it's like. It's like 75th out of 80th out of cornerbacks that have played at least 100 snaps this year. Uh, allowed, you know, 15 receptions. Yeah. Uh, a pretty high completion percentage. He did have an okay game uh, in week four against the Tennessee Titans. By, uh, I guess Colts, the Jaguars game and the Titans game, he graded okay. Definitely below average, but better than where he was at uh, in the Chiefs game and the Texas game. Texans game specifically, but he was really only targeted two times against uh, the Titans, allowed one catch basically for seven yards. But um, you know, it's been uh, outside of that performance, it's been it's been really poor to start the season from Kenny Moore's coverage grade perspective. What about this defense starting up front with a defensive line, Ben? Yeah, I mean, it's been I would say it's you know from 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 their past rush perspective, they haven't necessarily been. Uh, they haven't been great, but they haven't been bad. We have them 20th overall from a pass rush grade perspective, 21st, uh, 21st in coverage. So definitely bottom half of the NFL, but they're not like, they're not in the worst territory, I would say right now. And they've, you know, shown some bright spots at certain points. TT Pay, you know, got another kind of cleanup sack because of DeForest Buckner on Sunday. Uh, but, but, but both those units kind of struggling and them really only being good in a, from a run defense perspective is concerning for them overall. I think we have them uh, basically league average in EPA allowed per, per offensive play. So I think they're 15th overall in that metric, uh, which is fine. It's okay. But it's, if you don't have the offense to kind of build up your defense, you're still not going to win many games with just the 15th best defense in the NFL. Mm. And uh, up front, why? That's Again, up front's the one we look at because they're the third highest paid group in the NFL on the season. Kind of look at them like we do the offensive line, I guess, right? Right, right. So we so we can chart, you know, basically from like a pressure perspective, um, you know, how well they've done. They're 13th overall in total pressures generated, uh, which, yeah, it's, it's, it's middle of the pack, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's one of these things where um, they've, they haven't necessarily had to blitz uh, a ton in order to kind of generate some of those pressures, which is definitely a, a, a good thing. I think they've basically blitzed at like the third, third lowest rate in the NFL through four games. Right. But uh, I, I, I think that's, you know, a reason or an, an, an indictment on their coverage unit because uh, they don't really feel comfortable blitzing because if they do, uh, you know, the coverage unit could get picked apart pretty easily. So it, it's at least been somewhat, uh, maybe successful is not necessarily the correct term, but it's at least been adequate from, you know, the front four play. But given, like you said, the dollars committed to those four, uh, you, you kind of need them to be a top five, top six type unit from a pass rush perspective in order to kind of help and build up the rest of the unit's defense. Hey, ben, do you guys have an overall t- 
team performance rating for all NFL teams? We do. Um, we definitely do. Yeah, we have. Uh, we we break it up by total team, and then we also yeah. have some like specific offensive and defensive metrics. There's a little bit of um, you know prior data from pre- previous years kind of baked into it, so we at least have a decent base point having, headed into the 2022 season. That's that's like discounted significantly as we move toward into the new season, but it's still you know after week four, uh, it, it is a little bit um, it is a little bit. Uh, it is included in the calculation a little bit. We have the Colts basically 19th best uh, team in the NFL right now from an offensive standpoint, 18th best, uh, and defensively we have them 23rd overall. Mm. Wow. There you so go. Middle of the pack. I mean, that, but that's – and you look at it a little bit and you start to question, you know, with the, the, the roster building decisions and those yeah. sorts of things. I'm not saying it's it's it wasn't to be expected, but it's like – these are these are the strategies and moves that Chris Ballard put into place to kind of try and cover up a number of things and be you know somewhat a league average team and and even though they've been slightly worse than that so far uh, they've probably had a little bit of poor luck but what's the upside expectation in that case could they ever even get to be in you know a top ten type team with the current roster and how it's being currently constructed Ben I mentioned this yesterday this team right now seems built for mediocrity at best. Mm-hmm. And that is something I'm very familiar with as a Vikings fan. I mean, it's just it's one of those things where you know you don't want to be negative week in and week out, and you want to be able to find some silver linings, kind of like what we talked about at the beginning of the call. But at some point, you also want to see you also want to see and get excited about the future and what can possibly happen, and getting the guys in place where it's like, okay, maybe we're not good right now, yeah. but at least we're not trying to finish as the 15th best team in the NFL. At least we're down here. As, as you know, 29th, 30th, 31st, and we're going to have our pick of you know the top quarterback coming up in the NFL draft, uh, and, and that can kind of be the guy that we build around. And I think you know, even though fans maybe don't necessarily want to see that happen, uh, I, I think when it actually does, it can still be an exciting thing overall for a team to finally flush out uh, the situation that's just not going to get them to where they actually need to be. Uh, and kind of rebuild from there, I would say. Hey, one more thing. Could you go back to the offensive line individually really quick before I cut you loose here? Yeah, definitely. Can definitely. you can you grade – give me the grades position by position from, from prior to, okay. to Nelson to Kelly. Um, and I, I know that Penner was out this week and Will Fries was in there. Don't worry about that one right now at right guard, but also the right tackle play on the year with Braden Smith too. Yep. So we can definitely look at it. So basically we have, <clears throat> yeah, I'll start with Braden Smith, basically 67.5. That's an overall offensive grade. So that does kind of, um, you know, take into account both run blocking and pass blocking. 67.5 is just a little bit below average. I would say at the right tackle position, it, it is essentially average. Uh, Will Fry's 38.7 overall grade, well below average. I think he's got to be, you know, one of the lowest right guards, uh, given, well, and he just he got his first start, and he got his first start and his first playing time as a starter this past weekend. So that's that's yeah. a one game viewpoint right. against Tennessee. So it's a very small sample, very small sample size. So then we have Ryan Kelly, basically sixty two point two, you know, overall offensive grade, a little bit below average at the center position. Basically, it's not you know, it would once again be you know pretty close to league average. I think if you compared him to starting centers 
uh, at the NFL level. He'd probably be in that 15, 16, 17 range. Uh, and then Quentin Nelson, 68.1, um, right? Again, you know, th- and that's the guy that you need uh, to be an absolute mauler in both the run game and, you know, pass protect really well, given what Yes. Hey, 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 Ben, and, do you, how, many, how many left guards rank ahead of Quentin Nelson through four weeks of the season? Do you have that in front of you? So do you, I can pull that up. Do you want to see it pass blocking, run blocking, or just specific to uh, – Oh, whatever you feel is necessary. Wrong. Whatever whatever makes us feel really good. But I'm just joking because it's not. <laughs> really? <laughs> just, no, no, no. The, no, the entire – just give us the entire story because it – it, 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 yeah, it, it, it hasn't seemed very good. And I, the numbers you initially gave out here, it seems like that that's going to bear this thing out. But I was just curious. Yeah, so we I, I do have this basically limited to guys who have played 100-plus snaps. I do have both guard positions in it right now. Uh, he's at 68 points. Uh, what did I say? 68.1 overall offensive grade. That would rank 18th uh, among both guard positions. So actually not 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 horribly bad. Um, we are a little <laughs> he's bit gets, he gets paid twenty million. He gets paid $20 million he, a year. He's definitely the top. Yeah, the top the top rated guy. So we basically have you know, Chris Lindstrom has played really well for the Atlanta Falcons, ninety one point three offensive grade, and then the next closest is Wyatt Teller uh, for the Browns, who is, you know, also one of these top top paid type guard players, eighty two point three. So I, I think that would be much closer to the expectation that what you'd want for Quentin Nelson, but uh just hasn't provided that so far. Wow. So, what would, his rank among all guards, not just left guards, is what again? Is 18th overall. So, basically, a guy like Tevin Jenkins, who, you know, rookie last year for the Chicago Bears, didn't play whatsoever, was kind of, uh, you know, somewhat maligned this offseason as far as if he was going to be a trade candidate for Chicago Bears, actually is the guy right in front of him with a 68.5 overall offensive grade. So, uh, maybe that provides a little bit of context as far as, you know, what what, what he is delivering uh, based on that salary expectation. All right, what about Matt Ryan? Or Matt Ryan. What about Matthew Pryor at left tackle? Okay, so you want me to do tackles? We'll go to tackles. Here. Yeah, I'm so I'm sorry to put this because we we've we've, no, we've got it. We've got it because all, all I well here's I, I kind of want to put numbers to what I've been talking about because all we do is watch and eyeball this and hey, it's bad, it's bad, it's horrible, it's bad, and that's exactly the way the numbers are equating to what we've been talking about. So. Yeah, so Matt Pryor, 62.1 overall offensive grade. Uh, that would be 46 among tackles, both left tackle and right tackle positions. Uh, so a, a, def, a little bit lower. Um, and then we do have, you know, just based on our grading system and stuff, it does seem like the tackle position is maybe elevated a little bit more uh, as far as like the top end guy is grading pretty well, being more responsible for certain facets of play and those sorts of things. So he's 40, what did I say here? Now I lost him, of course. Uh, he's 46th overall amongst starting or, or, or tackles basically that have played over 100 snaps so far this season. Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> not wow. Good. Those are some bad and, numbers, Andrew man. Thomas, yeah, Andrew Thomas, top-rated tackle so far this year, 92.1 offensive grade. Uh, you know, rookie – or not not rookie, sorry, but basically, you know, that first-round draft pick, Rashawn Slater, Chargers, 84.0. He's now out for the year. Yeah, he's injured. Uh, but another one of these guys, you know, you know, high-end high end first-round draft pick, and then Tristan Wirfs as well, 79.8. So those are the three 
you know, leaders in that offensive grade uh, at the tackle position so far this year. And, you know, oh, it, it, it's a lot of young guys, and it's it's Trent Williams and Laramie Tunsil and, you know, those sorts of types. So uh, it's, it's, it, it, it's tough to compete with that, but that is kind of, you know, what – what the Colts are paying a guy like Quentin Nelson. He's just not, not close to actually dominating the position like he should based on what he's actually receiving through that salary. Yeah, That's the uh, left guard, $20 million a year, and that's the offensive line, the highest-paid offensive line of the NFL through four weeks. Those numbers tell the story. Ben, appreciate that, man. More than you know. Yep. <laughs> we'll move forward with it here and see what happens in a short week in Denver coming up on uh, Thursday night and double back with you coming up next Tuesday, man. I appreciate you as always. How can people find you? Yep, so you can find me on uh, Twitter, PFF underscore Ben Brown. I also you know, write a lot of content and do uh, you know, a few podcasts and other things on the PFF network as well. So you know, hit me up in uh, my direct messages. Always, always willing to chat some ball or anything. I uh, love putting out stats that people want to see it. So if there's anything that people are interested, definitely uh, find me on Twitter. Ben, I appreciate it, man. We'll talk at you next Tuesday. Thanks, guys. Have a great show. Ben Brown, the data scientist for Pro Football Focus with us. Meantime, Andy Moore, Automotive Group Potline, post-game show host, Moore. He does everything around here. And I was in his stomping grounds today, earlier this morning, Cafe Patichu at 49th and Penn. Greg Rakestraw joins us. Is that your home away from home? The hell! You didn't give me an invite. What's what's going on, dude? Well, I didn't know. Well, we're on live radio. Uh, no, no, no. I know. I didn't really know I was going there. So I did a uh, free throw shooting contest with Bruce right. Kidd put together for Teachers Treasures at Hinkle, and I got there around I don't know eight uh, fifty or so nine a.m. and we shot. And uh, he and his friend Ron said, hey, let's uh, go over to Cafe Patichu. And, of course, I'm thinking, all right, so where's the nearest Waffle House? Because I'm a hillbilly. And uh, they said, no, we're going to Cafe Patichu here. And so I went over to 49th and Penn and went in there. And uh, it was an outstanding breakfast experience. I didn't eat breakfast. I had a chocolate milk and a coffee. (laughs) (laughs) But it was outstanding nonetheless. Well, next time go there and you know order food. Well, really I did. I, I took it home. I just couldn't eat in front of people. So yeah, I got a little carry out. But I tell you, Ron Bruce's friend had something. It was like a Cuban breakfast, right? right correct. Uh, yeah, yeah, that looked awesome right there. The, the Cubano there is fantastic. No, there's no doubt. So there's the omelet you can't refuse. There's the hippie with the bends. There's all I mean. There's all kind of good stuff. And if you want the slum it like Waffle House, frankly, the waffle there is really good too. <laughs> so I thought. Yeah, I thought about you too as I was uh, I was there, downing my chocolate milk. Right, but by well, the that- way, and it wasn't just normal chocolate milk. They gave us normal milk, and then they mixed that thing up with a little chocolate syrup. That was the real deal. Well, that's usually reserved for six-year-olds, but I figured that they, they thought they would welcome <laughs> you into the neighborhood by doing something along those lines. Now, now yeah. have you been made aware? of the monumental occurrence that's going to happen on Thursday night for the pregame show? Um, I'm going to be at Joe's Grill. Anything are, other yeah, than that? that? Yes. That, that That's important. Okay. But are, are you unaware of the fact that Gorman can't be there on Thursday? No. So Gorman will not be on the show with you on Thursday. Uh, I take it you've not been made aware that Joe Wrights can't be with you on the show. On well, I didn't. Know, I didn't know that because I think Joe had told yeah. me that he's actually going out to Denver, and I believe Gorman's going to be in Denver too, right? 
That is correct. Okay. But 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 because of the short week, the transit, he is going. He's going to be you know flying out day of. Uh, okay. Um, so have you been made aware? You and Billy Brooks could easily handle two hours of pregame coverage. Right. But the powers that be have decided to add a third voice to the pregame show Thursday at five thirty from Drow's Grill in Westfield. Are you there? That would be me. Nice. So, nice. So, so, I'm not sure that you and I have like ever officially <laughs> worked together. together before. I think you're right. So, looking forward to it. I, I, think, I think way uh, back in the day, you did a high school game at Center Grove. This is way, way back uh, on 950. And I think I went out there and did a high school game at Center Grove with you. Way oh, back. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, true. Did, did, did we really? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's way back, too. So, wow. I think that's wow. before, that was before 04. That's before I moved down by Center Grove. So, yeah, that's it's been that long ago. So, I, I guess now I can just full scale get hammered and you can just take over and I can sit back and relax. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I, I could host as you do your voice and you could be some heckler from the yeah. crowd. We all have a good time. Absolutely. Awesome, man. Well, yeah, me and you and Bill Brooks. Joe's Grill, by the way, is a Larcity Bourbon Locks and Luna Azul Tequila Shots Thursday. So me, Brent Halverson, and I'm sure Nally and Miller will do our picks. But at 530, it will be the Colts pregame huddle. Former Colts wide receiver Bill Brooks, myself, and as we just all learned, Greg Rakestraw is going to be a part of that opener with us from Joe's Grill in Westfield coming up on Thursday. So that is awesome, Greg. Now, speaking of Thursday, do you think by what you heard and saw today that we'll see Jonathan Taylor suited up and performing on Thursday? I will consider it a pleasant surprise if he plays. Me too. Uh, And again, I understand you're going to try to take every preventative rest measure uh, before Thursday. And so the fact that during the media portion of practice that, that those that could attend today were able to attend and he's sitting on a golf cart, I tend to go, yeah, that doesn't look good. Um, knowing it's a short week, I think it doesn't look good. And, again, um, I, I, I think that while you're always better with Jonathan Taylor than you are without him, I think in a one-game short-term scenario, having an offense that nobody has seen before because you are so 28-reliant, I would love to see this team go quick tempo, go four or five wide. That can be tight ends. That's fine. And just try to do things a bit differently because you're going to put something on the field that, that the Broncos have not seen before. I think that could be advantageous in the short term. So um, if he plays, wonderful. But I would probably lean towards we don't see him on Thursday. We're not going to see some big uh, Philip Lindsay revenge type of game. Oh, I hadn't even gotten that far, John. Uh, just I that was course that. that was coursing through my dome as you were talking. Oh, that would be tremendous. That'd make for a great storylines to the postgame show, would it not? Yep. Hey, by the way, the Colts signed Chase McLaughlin to the fifty-three man roster to the practice squad. They waived Desmond Patman, according to Ian Rappaport. So I, Desmond Patman's probably somebody that somebody will give a look at, right? Yeah, because he looks the part, and yeah. that's, that's not a backhanded compliment. I mean, he, you know. He and Strawn, you know, were, were guys that, again, looked the part. But at the same time, you know, now we now that we are four weeks in, um, you know, you just see that there, that Strawn has carved out a place even sporadically on offense, but Patman's not been able to make the field. So my assumption is there's a limited amount of time, or a limited amount of chance, times you can pull somebody up off the practice squad before you put them on the active roster. McLaughlin had done that for each of the last three weeks. 
I'm not sure he could do that anymore. So with that, you got to sign him to the active roster, and somebody had to go. And uh, Patman was pretty much a non-factor in terms of getting snaps other than week two in Jacksonville when there was no Michael Pittman Jr., nor an Alec Pierce. If somebody doesn't claim Patman, but I'm sure the Colts would re-sign him to the practice squad. So Greg Gregstraw on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Are we entering a domain of injuries right now where all of a sudden keeping um, a third quarterback active yep. is going to become a situation? We're not there yet because, again, you have got you have seven guys that you don't dress for a given game. And so if, if you just kind of spell it out, Julian Blackman, Tyquan Lewis, Darius Leonard, Maybe you don't dress Jonathan Taylor. I'm at four. Am I forgetting anybody else? Um, and, and so I, I, they're not there yet, but you're at least getting in that territory where that's on your radar, John. So Greg Gregster on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I had mentioned that the disappointment to me was the way that they came out and played a half of football. Yeah. And it, it, it brings up two things to me. Um, either what the coach is saying – is not getting to them, and I guess what the owner is saying is not getting to them, or they're just incapable of getting it. Either way seems to be bad. What do you come up with as far as, I know it's a normal Colts slow start, but with all that led up to that game, and to give everybody just an absolute half of dreadful football is ridiculous. So what do you come up with as far as your thoughts on as to why we saw that Sunday? I don't have a good answer. Um, but but it is the same general feeling. The first half relates to the first two weeks of the season. That when you spend an entire off season in training camp talking about hey we're going to do things differently because we acknowledge you have to get off to a better start. You know you acknowledge hey you're you're tired of 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 fighting uphill in terms of your overall record. Well the same holds true in a, in a smaller form or fashion in terms of the first half uh, where. You know, you, you finally have a positive result. You finally have a good feeling after week three of the season. Okay, this is our chance to take the division by the scruff of the neck, and you just hand it away. Um, and much like the Chiefs, the Titans continue to give the Colts opportunities to stay in the game, to potentially win the game, despite spotting the opponent a 21-point lead, and despite being negative two and then eventually negative three in terms of the giveaway-takeaway ratio. So, no, I mean, I, I, I wish I had a good answer for you as to why that continues to happen. I know this, if it continues to happen, then then changes start to happen yeah. uh, at multiple fronts for this football team. All right, Greg, you, you see this too. The most common answer given from big-time Colts fans is, A, they're in the AFC South, so they're always in it, or it's the gift that keeps sure. on giving. But what makes us think that that can happen given the results we have seen against those AFC South teams thus far? And I don't know why people reminisce so brightly, and it's a feel-good last year, because I don't care what they did in the middle, the start and the right. finish sucked last year. So I don't look at that fondly as I guess everybody else might. I think I think you can say a couple of different things. In other words, you can state a fact, hey, the culture a half came out of first place. That is a fact. But it's just like, you know, when asked, hey, what's your confidence level in them winning in Denver on Thursday or winning the next game, ever it may be, the answer is, is no. So I can state the fact that, yes, they're a half game back, which is why, um, you know, it's, it's not time to go into meltdown crisis mode just yet. But at the same time, if you ask me my confidence level as to what we're going to see from the football team on Thursday, 
there's nothing to base confidence on. No. In other words, both of those things, John, can be true. Well, and that's that's how I look at it because you, you, there just is nothing in the fact that it all starts. And, you know, as you mentioned, there's there's no meltdown yet because we're so early in the season, full meltdown. But believe me, it's it started with that offensive line because everybody keeps saying, well, they're close and it's only a play here or there. But I'm sorry, this thing has looked discombobulated for a while and it looks more discombobulated at the start of this year. I, I don't know if it's just some cosmetic stuff that you can do to fix what is really ailing this line, Greg. You were, you were just kind of getting onto the local sports scene in 2001, the last year of Jim Mora yeah. being the head coach of the Colts. I remember being at press conferences, and it was along the lines of something of, well, other than that 60-yard run and that 70-yard run, our run defense didn't play that badly. <laughs> yeah. Well, true statement, right. but yet you're still one of the worst defenses in the league, and you still give up 60- and 70-yard runs. And so, you know, you could almost compare that to the offensive line. Is it a true statement that the Colts' pass blocking was better on Sunday? Yeah, I kind of think it was. They still give up three sacks? Yep. One of those sacks lead to a turnover in the short field that the Titans scored upon? Yep, that's the case. And did it lead to the worst rushing performance for Jonathan Taylor dating back to his rookie year um, when he wasn't always the primary ball carrier? Yes, it did. Um, and again, I'll relate it to it, you, you have to be what your contract says you are. And if you are the highest paid position group in the national foot, you know, uh, on your team, you had best be leading the charge, and that is clearly not the case for the Indianapolis Colts right now. And even if, even if you think the culprit is the guy that is, isn't paid the big money, is the guy you're hoping is the stopgap at left tackle, even if he is the guy that has been causing the problem, well, frankly, the other three or four guys got to figure it out, or the scheme has to change to help him to figure that out. And those things have not been happening. Greg Greg Straw, post-game show host, and now vaulted into pre-game show host yeah. this Thursday. The short week has the Colts in Denver on Thursday. We're going to be at Joe's Grill in Westfield. Love to see everybody there. And the Colts pre-game huddle will start after me, coming up at 5.30 on late Thursday afternoon. Me, Bill Brooks, and Greg Rakestraw, part of that Colts pre-game huddle. And Greg's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Before we hit a break, your thoughts on what you saw from the Boilermakers mm -hmm. getting a a big road win in the West over Minnesota Saturday. And then on the other side, IU just kind of, well, being IU football again. Right. Let's start with a positive. Um, love what I saw from Purdue. Uh, us being Southern Indiana guys, we always cheer for other Southern Indiana yep. guys. Boonville I'm shout so out. For, for, for the Devin Mockaby story. And again, Devin put up ridiculous numbers um, at Boonville. Did it against average competition, you know, mostly 2A, 3A competition. Um, I believe he was going to Navy, changed his mind or was there and left. Um, and then, you know, is, is a if he's not, not, not done being a walk-on yet, he's about to be. Somebody's going to find a scholarship for that kid at Purdue. Uh, but I am so happy for him and so happy for Purdue um, just because I, I want to see them do well. And amazingly, they're now in a six-way tie for first in the Big Ten West. And in theory, they have gotten past already one of the best team in, in the Big Ten West. And so it's crazy to think who might be the team opposite Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game here the first Saturday in December. Now, would I think that a Purdue would have a chance to beat Ohio State? Not even close. 
but it would still be an amazing accomplishment if Purdue could play in the Big Ten championship game at Lucas Oil Stadium. So that is a now a legitimate conversation for virtually every Big Ten West team to have. Even Nebraska, as god-awful as they have been, they're in the conversation uh, because of their luck of geography. So happy for Purdue. Now I want to see him go back it up in terms of Maryland this weekend. Now, about Indiana, same old Indiana, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I mean you know, it, it used to be same old Colts. Lord help our Colts. Well, it's been that way for Indiana for a long time with a few flashes of brilliance, such as the shortened 2020 campaign, um, almost as a teasing fact to Indiana football fans that the one year that they were really good, you couldn't go watch games in person. Um, and so I, I hope for the best for Tom Allen always, but I don't exactly have my hopes up after watching things unfold the way they did in Nebraska on Saturday night. I mean, I bet we'll be able to talk about this the next time you're on Tuesday, but it looks like a, a lot of rumors floating around about <laughs> IU hoops and Kentucky hoops getting back together. So we shall see what we would, shall I, see here relatively I soon. I'd love for that to be the case. And again, if it means even IU says, all right, fine, I can come to Bloomington, we'll play neutral site games then, you know, let, let's end the 10-year pissing match. Let's find someplace neutral to play, and let's go play the game. You got it, buddy. I'll see you coming up on Thursday at Joe's Grill in Westfield. We'll have a blast. I like to think of myself as a closer, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but in this week, I guess I'll be the opener, and I'm fine with that. You too. will. I'm going to drink heavily, so you may have to take over about halfway through this bad boy. So be you, ready. You, then I'll, I'll close that show, too. No problem. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate it. See you, pal.